The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcast belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations. Welcome to the Flipboard EDU podcast with your host, William Jeffrey, where we collaborate, communicate, and educate with the greatest educators in the world on Flipboard. Let's start the show. Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey. And one of the biggest unwritten rules in teaching is to know the names of your students. This is even more important if you want them to trust you, especially now during COVID-19. Disregarding a student's name or forgetting it due to remote learning fatigue or even plain old mispronouncing it repeatedly will erode a classroom culture faster than ever. Dr. Josue Falace is joining us again this week to dive deeper into the topic of cultural competence. As the founder and CEO of GOMO Educational Services, he trains educators and writes articles on a variety of topics such as turning adversity into opportunity and dealing with difficult students. In addition to sharing his professional expertise, Dr. Felace recounts his own awakening to his own Haitian roots, which steered his professional and educational journey. The dynamics of cultural competency, Dr. Felace holds me accountable for the proper pronunciation of his name every time we speak. This is a monumental lesson for me in accountability and respect from a consummate educator who practices what he preaches on the daily. So like we always do at this time, let's collaborate, communicate, and educate with the best educators in the world right here on Flipboard EDU Podcast. Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey, and I have a very good friend of the show on tonight, Josue Bales. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Coach. Hey, Josue, finally was able to pronounce your name. I know you've been on many different television shows and many different. So tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself. For me, my name is something that really identifies not just me, but then what I stand for. The For 46 years, I went by Joshua Felace, Dr. Joshua Felace, and that's how you knew me initially, uh, Coach. And at last year, November 2019, after teaching and presenting to people about cultural competency all everywhere, and it basically tells them not to allow anyone to take their cultural identity from them. I was doing that same, perpetuating that same thing. So it actually started when I was younger in education where the educators could not pronounce Falez and they just got tired of it. And they changed my name to Joshua Felice. So when I took my name back, now I'm just basically helping people. So it's just the same sort of work that I'm doing to support people. And that's one thing, but those are, that's a part of inequities. So I'm helping people with building equity, knowledge, competence. This is the same sort of things that surrounds my name and the significance 
around the, what has been taking place throughout my entire life. So that's a nutshell on top of just all the different roles of being a teacher, uh, a principal, assistant superintendent, administrator, higher ed. I was a you know, director at Rutgers to Grad School of Education, and now I'm running my company as the CEO and founder, Gomo Educational Services. Hey, man, that is so deep. And I appreciate every time I messed up your name, you corrected me. On. That's a level of accountability that I have for everyone. And of course, I do work with individuals based on, and you stated, man, I don't speak French. But I'm helping you to teach, to teach you how to properly pronounce it. And I just appreciate you and everyone else who values that. Say, you know what? Thank you for teaching me because I do want to get your name right. Then we don't get a chance to get really deep in names and culture. And how does that really fit into cultural competency? But saying your name properly is an important thing. Like, how does that make you feel when you were growing up and they just changed your name to Josh? Like, how did that make you feel? We were like one of two fa- black families or three families of culture, a different culture besides the white. It was embarrassing to have my name Mm. because everyone else was basically Americanized that they had the Willie, Joe, Eddie, Anthony. So Joe, what? First of all, I'm in my skin tone is different because I was the only black male in my class. I was another black female Mm -hmm. for a good part. And I went to a private school with sisters and everything else. They could not pronounce my name. Uh So it's more like, Josh, Josh Felice. I became embarrassed to the point where I didn't even write my name as J-O-S-U-E for up until after high school. College was my first time that I changed where I went to by my given name, J-O-S-U-E. So I actually used to write Joshua the whole time just to make it easier, more comfortable for people because of their discomfort. And again, I'm just pulling away that Haitian culture that is so rich, you know, there's, that's a whole other thing that people weren't aware of. And at that, what was also, I guess, somewhat embarrassing for me is the, it was more pronounced or salient about Haitians being poor, impoverished third world country. And that was just a narrative that people put out there, not realize once you get there, you see all the, the rich culture, gold and yeah. beaches and everything else, the imports and even exports. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And it's just things that took a while. So I became embarrassed about that. So that's the other thing that contributed to me changing my name. So are your parents immigrants to the country? Yes. Both my parents emigrated to the U.S., both from Haiti. That's even more reason why things change. And here's a kicker. When I was seven years old, my father sold everything and we actually moved to Haiti. We were going to be living full time Haitians. Oh. And I was still in ba- Yeah. We lived in Haiti, sold everything in the U.S., went to Haiti, and to live. Wow. That's an amazing... And then what happened, Josh? Now you got to... So he actually got sick because of the the filtration of the water and milk, purity, impurities or purities, when when you look at it. And we had to move back because we just became too ill. Our bodies were not accustomed to uh, that of Haiti. So we moved back there for many months, several months. We talked about cultural competency, and I want to give a definition for those of you who don't know what it is. Cultural competency is the ability to understand and communicate with and effectively and interact with people across cultures. Cultural competency encompasses being aware of one's own worldview, developing positive attitude towards cultural differences and gaining knowledge of different cultural practices and worldviews. You work with educators on building cultural competency. Why? I've already told you I live it. One of the things is 
when someone has to feel embarrassed and again, the easiest thing is someone's name that they have to uh, if they're coming to America that they have to change their name if you know a lot of Asians that that I see that they just change their name to Kim and it's what's your name Jing Zong Su and it's I'm China or or Kim or Lisa something so that it makes it easier for someone else who is not culturally aware or chooses not to be culturally competent or aware but not just that when I present on cultures, I help school districts understand everything, even about their professional culture, the dealing with organizations regarding social culture, the dealing with LGBTQ. There's things that challenges that anyone who is not of the class, religion, ableism, the heterosexism, the genderism, like all those isms are what I break down with the schools and get everyone on the same page because because you have so many different experiences of where people come from and things that they do is coming to some sort of center as a group, as a, as a system, so they can start moving forward towards appreciating the various different cultures and even the challenge that other cultures have experienced trying to assimilate or culturate to um, that of the U.S. or wherever they may be. Amen. And then again, I do this training all over the, the world. It's all it's over the globe. I support school districts uh, and organizations and higher ed institutions. You were a guest on our uh, show where we talked about systemic racism. That's one of the highest rated shows that I've done. And I appreciate your insight on that. And looking at systemic racism in education and cultural competencies, the issue is what are school districts doing well when it comes to combating cultural misunderstandings? The number one thing that I actually recommend is creating a platform so, so you can actually hear how the cultures or issues of race of oppression. Because if you don't know about the people's oppression, there's no way that you can even tackle the issue. So to me, that's the first step that the organizations need to start doing. What is that platform that you have developed? And another thing is set up the committees because once you realize that you are oppressing, you have been silencing individuals, what's, what is your action plan? Short-term, long-term? Are you allowing people to be vulnerable even while they're planning? Are you being vulnerable as being a leader when you're planning? So th these are the initial steps that I support and guide. And there's a lot of relationship dynamics that need to take place. And these are things that I support the organizations and institutions and systems with. We just had a polarizing election where some of our communities are split right down the middle. What's the best way for me as a school leader to walk that line to bring communities of students, parents, and teachers together? I go back to the platform. Can Have you designed or can you design a day, an evening, an event that is going to be intentional? Because thing is, we tend to just try to hide it. So let's be upfront about this is what it is that's taking place and hear both sides because the oppressor may not be fully aware of either privilege or even the oppression they're causing. And then the ones who's being oppressed, I look basically the victim. I always look at it as being a black man. Why am I always apologizing? And I'm the one that's being oppressed. So if I'm making the other people aware and they're aware that they're doing it, that's where the power comes. And, and it's not just telling them. In some cases, you have to be strategic in how it's delivered. And these are what why I've been really getting a, a lot of work with school districts and organizations and institutions to support them with that. Because at the key, this is not something that you can actually do, like I would say, with your district and a, and a whole other district, another district. It has to be done intra-district because there's relations that need to take place and that maybe have not had before. 
So you can know the person who's next to your the school next to you or even across the way to understand, like, although we're 10 miles apart or 50 miles apart, we're still in the same region. You're, we have some differences, but we also have some similarities. And I never got a chance to know that. And that's what GOMO allows them to do in their in our sessions when we work with the, the organizations. Yes. Man, my mind is going 90 miles a minute while you're talking because there are just some places, and I'm not talking about where I'm at, and this might not be where, where you were, but I know of some places where they have the attitude is this is how it's done and this is how we do it. I'm digging my feet in. I'm not going to change. This has always worked. How do you approach those people who have dug their feet in the mud and saying, this is the culture of, uh, and we don't even have to take it to a racial level. Just look at the, just the difference of cultures. Like how do you get someone who's dug their feet in to change? Number one is time. It's, it's like you present to them what there is to offer. And I say that because I've been to many different committee meetings or council meetings or round tables, whatever it may be across the country. And I've been literally told we don't have any diversity or equity issues because our areas, our systems are 100 white, like 100 percent white adults and over 90 percent white students or whatever it may be. And it's we don't need it. What's I wouldn't say funny, but obviously I leave them alone. You got it. What is it? You dust your feet off and keep moving because the people that need your help are going to come. I've gotten a number of those same districts came to me this year. And I've been preaching to them for years. And it's the community that said that they're tired, again, of being silenced and oppressed. And you need to go out and find an organization that's going to be able to support you in doing this if this is something that's not your thing. And to me, I look at it more like I don't understand cultures and maybe someone in my staff does. But if you're looking at it from a system, you have to look at, is this person built to understand that? Because I have school experience district level experience and even higher ed experience, this is what people look at as far as having me come in because I have all those systems type of knowledge to be able to help their systems. Whereas if you were a superintendent and you the district with 10,000 or even 20,000 staff members, you're more likely not going to just choose a teacher because there's certain things that the teachers may not be aware of, but you may choose someone else who has that kind of experience and has traveled being able to support other organizations with that. To me, it's, number one is time. Second of all is it's the personality and content. Certain personalities can deliver things great. And I say that people talk about Obama. He could sell you something that's, that's horrible but he'll make you feel good and purchase it too. So, and it's not trying to be a, a sycophant or anything uh-huh. or a, a snake oil salesman, but the, because you can actually, what I've also experienced is because the content is so powerful, people are going to tell other people like, no, you need to deal with them. So a lot of my business lately has been through marketing, but the other one, and this is majority is people saying, you need to deal with this guy or, or his organization because they're getting in and this is what they've done for us so far. Yeah. And okay, I'm just a CEO, but I also have a team. So it's, it's not just, it's the GOMO Educational Services. And that's what's really been helping us out. The word of mouth, you can see the testimonials on the website and, and people know when they're getting something that's of high value. And what I do is I, I tell people like the our workshops are high yield, high impact. I love it when people are moved and sometimes even tear. Oh my gosh, I didn't know I was doing this. 
I didn't know this is the kind of position that I, it's not just I was in, but then putting people in. And it's not just even like the white race, because there's because of our racist society and the way that the systems are set up, you're perpetuating these racist ideas, even if you're a person of color, because that's all you've ever operated in. You don't know anything different. Man, Doc, that's so deep. And even if we talk about the cultural differences in African-Americans in the United States, in the South, is even diverse. You saying yourself being a Haitian, you appear to be a brother like myself. There's no difference from what I can tell, but there's multiple differences in our cultures than you grew up Haitian and I grew up South Texan. In the classroom, let's just bring it all the way home. Cultural competency in the classroom. How does that look? I got to have a scenario for you. There's a teacher who is a stickler for the dress code. How does the cultural competency play itself out in that situation? The teachers, for the most part, enacting what's required by the school code of conduct and the leadership. So to me, it's did the school, meaning from you know the school district to down to the principal, have a culturally competent uh, code of conduct or dress code to be able to address that? And if it's not, can the school modify that to see that it could be someone from an African culture where they're maybe Muslim and they have to wear something outside of their uniform or because of that, I, this would have to wear every single day because maybe something religious or something, then that they, they need to be open towards that. And but we have to look at the other angle. It could be a financial because the and this is more cultural. These systems have been designed that the parents can't get a job, aren't able to hold a job. They aren't able to get educated. So there's another subculture that's taking place because of that. So these are angles and ultimately comes down to the teacher man, the relationship. Culture comes down to relationships. So like I said before, are the trainings that you're receiving regarding cultural competency relationship dynamics centered? If it's not, then you're just getting training. But you're looking to have uh, people really um, walk out of there, moved and, and changed because of the power, of the relationship dynamics that are set so that people who attended, whether they're the facilitators or not, they can now go and turnkey and model those expectations for their peers. And that's the reason why if I go to a district where there's 190,000 students, so I don't know how many staff members that may be. My goal was to train the top leaders in there with some key people and so that they can go back and work with their uh, school districts. But then those people would be the key as they keep getting trained as facilitators. I won't be able to go teach 10,000 teachers all at once. It takes forever. So that's what I, I, I look to do is train the, the leaders to sustain their systems. And then they start turnkeying and modeling everything that is being presented with their systems, with everyone in their system. So ultimately, if that teacher is in the system that has been trained effectively and they're being implemented efficiently and effectively, they will then model that relationship with that student knowing that, hey, for whatever reason, let me get to know you and understand why you are not living according to the dress code of conduct. And they'll understand. And that's something that the teacher can even go back and tell uh, the school leaders because the, the tendency is to just, hey, you're not following school the dress code throw them to the principal or dean of discipline or whatever the role that is with a discipline VP, and then get the person up, probably not even tell the parent. And, and it's now it's starting this cycle for these students of disciplinary measures. And what it all was is a, a, a dress code. And But the same thing applies with just even a pencil. Yes. I know that I heard Dr. Principal L, he had talked about just a cycle of how from a pencil, it led into someone being incarcerated, a pencil. And 
it's sad, but it's the same thing can be the same emblematic type of thing can be uh, seen with just a dress code and, and finding out why having that one on one connection with your students. And then their stories even now, right now in COVID, where class sizes are sometimes 25 to 50 percent of the capacity and there's still students getting suspended. And the question is that you may ask, who are these kind of students? What demographic of population? And it's still representative of what has always been seen that they have experienced oppression and this is their coping mechanism or way to fight back. I want to feel like I can do this. So it's just their way of coming back. So I think that this time, if suspensions have had to occur, but what is the underlying reason? Yeah. And if you are just getting the discipline referral from a teacher and the teacher hasn't established certain things, the relationships, and they have not contacted the parents or anything else, then you're suspending. I, I, I was just doing a training, I think just last week with a school district. They have a expansive student uh, discipline. Like it is expansive. And they thought it was restorative. When I looked at it, I said, ooh, what we had to do was they had the document looking great. Guess what? They had nothing with the relationship dynamics. So we had to go to the core and understanding the pillars of RP, fundamental hypothesis and taking through scenarios and dynamics because the document is just a tool, but then it's the people. Right. So that's what I be. We train people to help see into the document and you can revise those things because once you now have a relationship, there's less need because you have that relationship. And I say that because I remember it was a first grader who in another school district that had got suspended. Now, this is a first grader who wears wearing a mask. The, the child wasn't wearing a mask, and the, the teacher just sent the, the student to the principal for suspension because the child refused to wear a mask. So it, it got to the level of superintendent. Like, it, it got really high. So the superintendent called me and said, this is what this teacher did, and I'm trying to get your take. Like, what, 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 you're working with us because it should have never even got to my level. It got beyond the principal. And... What I did was I actually took the, the, the I came to the building. I took the, the first grader out well, just for a walk and I took off my mask. And you know what the, the superintendents, the student said to that the first grader? Now I know what you look like because the, the superintendents walked through the building, but has always had the mask on. And it's the same thing with the teachers. If they don't have relationship because the kids aren't seeing your face now, they're going in hybrid and coming in. And that's a whole nother barrier. And we're talking a five or six year old. Wow. We're not even talking middle school. So these are these things that if you have a relationship, although you, yes, you have to cover your face and everything else, then it's like, how are, how else or how differently are you connecting with those students? Because we're losing out on that. Yeah. We're, you, we're making the COVID as an excuse. Not all of us. We're making the COVID as an excuse to, so you can have this barrier. But we're saying we're all about kids. We're all about this. We're all about looking at their best interest. I know people say they go on social media, post all these different things. But then when you come and look at what's going on in the classroom or in their schools, it's something totally different. Yeah. And my thing is to put the realness out there to really have just the real work. And if the districts that or organizations that are really willing to do that, I'm almost open. And if it's not, Please, I don't want to waste your time or mine because we really want to work with to have sustainable change, not just go somewhere and, and do work. And then suddenly there's no implementation behind it. And then you may say that organization didn't really support us. No, we wish to do that. And then not also you're not going to do one shot deals because that's impossible. So you're looking at something that you're going to do over time and really do some work and creating some sort of plan and, and follow through on it. Doc, 
you, you just really, this is another eye-opening exercise for myself as a leader because I have to introspectively look at how I lead. Um, a lot of these conversations that I have with people like yourself just invigorates me to look at leadership and to just be the best that I can be. Every time I open up my LinkedIn, I see GoMo everywhere. Um, where can our listeners find you at? So you can find us at uh, www.gomoed.com services.com. Uh, all our social media platforms are at GOMO EDS. Again, at GOMO, G-O-M-O EDS. My personal information is, all, everything is also J-O-S-U-E-F-A-L-A-I-S-E. So on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, LinkedIn are my actual uh, full name. Josue Fales. 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 But man, hey, thank you for coming on the show, man. As always, I uh, appreciate talking to you and I uh, wish you the best of luck. I greatly appreciate it. Welcome to Flip Tips. Today's Flip Tip is how to get started with Flipboard. Very simple. I want to thank Jeanette Spire and Terry Porter for coming up with our Flip Tips for today. The first thing you want to do is download the app for your Android or iOS device. Second thing you want to do is you want to create an account. Make sure you add a picture and complete your bio. Third thing you want to do is you want to follow topics. There are at least 34,000 topics that you can follow. Next thing you want to do is build your magazine. Navigate to the bottom of your profile icon and then select the collection options. Give your magazine the title and you've built your first magazine. I want to give a huge shout out for Terry Porter and Jeanette Spire on giving us today's flip tips. Flipboard EDU podcast is a great resource for teachers, students, and administrators. Flipboard fam, thanks for kicking it with me on this episode. I want to thank Dr. Josue Falaise for talking with us about cultural competence. You can find Dr. Falaise and his GOMO educational services on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also, a huge shout out to Aileen Laylor and Crystal Vanderboom for editorials on the Flip. EDU Educators Blog. Flipboard Educators Blog is a wealth of educational topics that can be shared in your magazines. Remember to subscribe to our Flipboard EDU magazine as well, which both of these magazines can be found on flipboard.com. Also, please subscribe and share our podcast with an educator or colleague. Our podcast is available globally and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Until next time, family, 